You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to come and speak. I pray that you would speak through me, through your word to each and every one person here. Amen. Okay, so... Mothering is a complex subject, and I was thinking what verse I would use as my starter, and I'm starting with Romans 12, verse 5, which says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Because mothering often has both of those things for us all. Now, here, sorry, for us all. This week, We've seen people who are thinking about being a mother, and I've talked to people who are wanting to be a mother who have had another year of infertility and didn't want to be at church. People who have not been able to have a baby and have wanted to. People who have had to put their mother into aged care, and we know the Aged Care Commission is looking at that. People who are weeping because their mother is now sick or she's died. So many things are hard for us with having a mother and being a mother, but we also have instances where we can rejoice because there's some of you who nobody knows you're actually pregnant for the first time and only you and your husband know. Some of you have just had your first child and you're rejoicing at that. Some of you have had a not great relationship with your mother but it's been restored for the first time in your lifetime and you're rejoicing at that. There's so much variety about how we are in our relationships with our mother. And because of that... I want to tell you about my mum, who here I've got both in my life. She has been both the biggest source of joy in my life, but probably the biggest source of distress as well. My mother is the kind of woman who this week sent me a card, and I've got probably thousands of them tucked away, where she's got three different times in this card that she's thought of me to write, and then she's written that to me, and then she's written here on a little insert. So there's four or five different times she's thought of me with love. And this one says, Dearest Marilyn, first in my womb and deep in my heart. Today the sun is out. And then it just stops. And then a new pen starts down the bottom and says, I don't know what I was going to write, but I thought I'd send it to you now. Mary, darling, you're a precious blessing, and we are so glad you came to us. That's the kind of mum of a spirit I've got. But this same woman you see up there on the screen... When I was 12, we found out she had a massive meningioma brain tumour and the doctors gathered us around and said, say goodbye to her because she'll either die on the table or have such a different personality she won't know you and you won't know her. Seven operations later, massive neurosurgeries, saying goodbye to her but saying not goodbye, saying, Mum, I'll see you soon, either after the operation or in heaven great weeping and great rejoicing. There she is at 80. She should have been dead when she was in her 30s. So we have a mixture of relationships with our mothers. We have mixture of weeping and rejoicing. But what do we do to move forward? Well, here is an example of a whole lot of mothers. Now, just to get you going, who can recognise any of them? Who have we got there? Mother Teresa, good. Now, does she actually have any physical children? No. Big point I'm making today, as we think about mothers, it's not just those who have physical children, but as was prayed, those who act in a motherly way to us, to recognise that. In some of our absence, maybe some of you have lost a mother 
or have mothers who aren't engaging and supporting like you can hear mine is. Mothers who are in the spiritual realm. Who else can we see up there? J.K. Rowling, well done. A single mother. A single mother, because some mothers come and they're being a single mother. What other mothers have we got there? Meghan Markle. It's a happy week for her. First time mother. And I'll just keep moving along because of this. We've also got up there, Meghan Markle, we've also got Gladys Berejiklian's mum. I loved it that when Gladys Berejiklian became Premier, her mum was up there, honoured, front and centre. We've also got, who's down there in the middle with the graduation hat on that was honoured this week? Bill Shorten's mother, rock on Bill Shorten's mother, stepped up and went to uni. <laughs> on the left, who can guess? Now, this is my final chocolate. Who is it on the left? Sorry, your left. Okay, it's Maria von Trapp, stepmother. Sound of music, stepmother. I had a woman who said to me, I never go to church on Mother's Day because all the mothers are honoured, but the stepmothers aren't mentioned. The stepmothers. If those of you who are stepmothers, it can be a complex thing and be honoured and respected in that. And to the far right, who might that be? Anybody got Susanna Wesley? Susanna Wesley had Charles and John Wesley as her children. And so here, there's the famous mothers, a list of them. But who's another mother that we might think about today? Oh, who could that possibly be? Yes, little Micah, who could that be? That's right, Mary. Good job, Micah. You've got a very smart child there. That's right. Okay. The mother we're thinking about is Mary. Now, what happened, I've grown up in the Protestant church, and there's a bit of a difference between how the Catholics and the Protestants deal with Mary. Like Mary, when I was going around to some of the dioceses that aren't evangelical, some of the higher church, they've got a whole chapel devoted to Mary. It's called the Mary Chapel, where you can go. You can either do it to Jesus, or you can go and have an option of candles and prayers to Mary. Now, some would argue, the Protestants mainly have, that they've maybe honoured and revered Mary in a way that wasn't due. However, I think a lot of Protestants have kind of overlooked some of the things that we can learn from Mary. So when we think about Mary, here's some observations that I'd like to make for you. Mary, there's two lineages of Jesus in the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever really looked at them. There's one in Matthew and there's one in Luke. They're lineages of Jesus. Are they the same? No, they're not. It's interesting, isn't it? They both kind of said they're Joseph's. Joseph can't have two different lineages. One is actually Joseph as the son-in-law. So it's Mary's lineage. It's Jesus that way. Mm -hmm. It separates where David had Solomon, is Joseph's line, and Nathan is Mary's line. So Jesus has a lineage going both ways. And Mary, not only do we need to pay a bit more attention to her because she's such a focal Bible character, but this is a woman who, I don't know if any of you have put together your kind of um, will, and they say to you, if you both died, if both parents died, who would you choose as the guardian for your child? And you think, oh, that sister? No. That sister? Oh, really? And you barter about that, and then you think about, oh, well, what about the sister on your side? No way I'm having her influence. You can see where I'm going with this. <laughs> At about the time, there were three million Jews, and I'm going to say there's probably about 100,000 who were women of childbearing age. God chose to be guardian of Jesus, Mary. Now, you can imagine, like, we like it when we get chosen for anything. 
Some people love it when they get a like on Instagram, particularly a like from someone who they think is fairly amazing. So for some of my children, if a particular local pop star happened to like a post of theirs, I think they would discombobulate right on the spot. So Mary's just hanging around. She's a Jew through. She's got great-great-great-granddad is David. She's rocking the thing. She knows her Bible back to front. She knows they all know that there's some, you know, amazing supernatural things go on all the time. They know that. They know their scriptures. They've seen prophetic things. They've seen um, women who are past childbearing age have children. They've seen all sorts of things. She knows the scripture back to front. So when an angel appears to her and says, you are getting a massive like here, she goes, all right, go me. And she starts to quote Genesis and Exodus and 1 Samuel, which is Hannah's talk, and she just does it like my, my daughters know Taylor Swift songs, that she just riffed for like half the Bible, basically. It's the longest quote. And she probably, if you think about it, who do you think told the gospel writers all these facts? Who do you think told them to write down what happened in these divine encounters? Who do you think told them, oh, and then I said, blah, 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 blah. Have you ever thought about that, that Mary, in her senior years, because it was an oral tradition, would have told the boys, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what happened? Because she was the only one alive still there who'd been there. So she said, you've got to include this, Luke. Then I completely riffed on how amazing it was that God had chosen me to be guardian, to be birth mother. Yes, knew the scriptures, but it also said that she rejoiced in the Magnificat of being chosen. But what do we also know about Mary? Like for a lot of us, it's a mixed thing, a relationship virtually with anybody. But particularly being a mom is often a rejoicing and a weeping kind of thing. And, and, and Simeon prophesied to her, your heart will be pierced. You'll have the rejoicing and the weeping. So... What can we learn from the Bible about Jesus relating to his mother and therefore to our mother? What can we learn? Well, the commandment is the key thing. Jesus was a Jew fundamentally, and he knew his Old Testament, as did his mother. His mother taught it to him, and the core thing, and she definitely taught him this one. You can imagine Mary really teaching him, Jesus, this is really important. You need to know, honour your mother and father. She would have taught him that. But it wasn't just in the Old Testament. Jesus also in Matthew 15 speaks it because some people say we don't have to live by the Old Testament anymore. We live by the Beatitudes. We don't have to go by the Ten Commandments. But Jesus in Matthew 15 does a big riff on the commandment to honour your mother and father. And then Paul here in Ephesians 6, same thing, honour. So it's fairly key to how we relate. Fairly key to how we relate to be doing that. Jesus, Moses, and Paul, the three big ways that we're taught things. So here, what does it mean to honour? Sorry, I've missed one there. To honour, what does it mean? Now, it's the fifth commandment. The first four are about honouring God. Then there's the transition commandment about honouring people. And the honour your mother and father is the transition commandment in there. And a commandment is, I love this quote here, A commandment calls us to live beyond what we understand, feel, or want. The commandments are, have sex. The commandments are, 
make sure you eat yummy food. The commandments are, watch Netflix and relax and rest. Well, maybe for some of you, they need to be. It's a Sabbath rest, but you need to have a full rest. Here, the commandment, the first commandment, that all may go well with you. The commandment that says, honour your mother and father, that all may go well with you. What even is that? That's saying, if you honour your mother and father, things will go well with you. Now, to think about that and to work out what it means then to honour would seem to be pretty important. Now, the Hebrew word is kabed, and it means not just to treat well, open the door for, send a card to, but it means to actually give weight to. It actually means to give weight to or gravity to. It's a similar word to the word for glory. God's glory is his weight and gravity. It means to give importance to. It means to attend to. It means to have a value or significance. And the opposite of, the opposite of that, kalel, is to treat lightly or of no significance. So how do we deal with it if you're sitting there going, well, my mum is not honour-worthy? How do we deal with this? If all will go well with us, if we honour our mother and father, but you sit there and go, well, my mum actually abandoned me. My mum actually did not protect me from sexual abuse or she abused me physically. She's not honour-worthy. She's a nutter. She's a narcissist. She's mental. How am I meant to do this and all go well with me if my mother is not just in my head, but objectively, I've talked to people, I've had therapy, I've run it past others, objectively, quite not honour-worthy. What do we do then? And the Bible paints pictures of the Marys who are honour-worthy, but the Bible also has quite a few characters who are not honour-worthy as mothers. What's that Herodias who gets, like, her daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head to be chopped off? I'm going, oh, not sure about the honour-worthiness of that woman, and there's quite a few others. So the fact that people aren't perfect, people sin is fair enough, like we know that. No one, no one's mother's perfect. I've had all the, the love for my mother and I've had weeping for my mother, but there's some things where my mother's like, right then, okay. You know, we, we have the mixed bag. But if at heart the whole picture of a mother is not honour-worthy, what do you do with that? Well, let me encourage you that no one is perfect, but in as much as you can to attempt reconciliation, particularly as you move into being adult with that woman, to muster up courage, to go with truth about the things that have been hard and difficult, and then the choice is hers, what she does, and one of Susanna Wesley's comments that was probably interpreted and taken and imbued and her son had, John Wesley, was, when you do what you can, you do enough. So for some of you who've got difficult relationships, do what you can, maybe have counselling or support or prayer for wisdom to know how to manage it. And if she blocks that and you can't do it, you've done what you can before yourself and before God. But you might want to revisit that from time to time. So you might not just do it when you're mid-20s and it's bad. You might come back and revisit it again. But if not, there's this beautiful scripture that many people find comforting. I've actually got a remarkably high number of girlfriends who've got very, very, very difficult relationships with their mothers. And they find this scripture incredibly comforting, this scripture from Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. 
tattoo-like in the palms of your hand, his hand. So constantly, you know, bring that if you need to, but don't be too harsh on yourself if you have tried. So what learnings have we got from how Jesus related to Mary? What are some of the biblical stories? This is a question. What are some of the biblical stories where Jesus is relating to Mary or Jesus and Mary are both in the story? What are some of them? On the cross. Mary's there at the foot of the cross, correct. What's another one? At the wedding at Cana, which we've just had. Jesus and Mary are there at the foot of the cross. What are some other stories where Jesus and Mary are there? When he gets lost, correct. He gets lost. He's 12 and he gets lost for three days. Okay, well, just because I've got the mic and we're moving along and we're flipping up here, we'll do another one. I've just got here. We've got eight here. The Annunciation. Well, I guess Jesus wasn't there. He was there in the Word. Uh, Then the Conception. I'm putting the Annunciation with the Conception. So he strictly was there with the Conception. The Birth, the Circumcision and the Prophecy. Uh, lost and teaching in Jerusalem, the wedding at Cana, when he was working and he got Mary to not disturb him, at the foot of the cross and at Pentecost. Mary was there bravely in the upper room as well. So what have we got here that we can learn from Jesus? Now, I think we go through three stages in our life with our mothers. We're a child, we are then adult to mother, and then we are adult to aged mother. And each of them have a different kind of relationship that we have. And what's amazing is that there's stories of Jesus relating to Mary in these three different stages. So the first one is the story of when he gets lost. Or he doesn't, yeah, they can't find him. He's down there teaching in the temple, talking to and asking questions of and learning from all the, uh, the priests down in the uh, Jerusalem synagogue. Thousands of people had gone down for the big Passover festival and a big caravan of hundreds of thousands of people and Mary and Joseph thought that Jesus was with them going home. And I don't know, like I've lost my kids for half an hour at the shopping centre when they were little and they're just like, with all due respect to Ken, it's just Ken's child. I've got to come home and tell that I've lost, which is bad. But... You're just feeling it for Mary at this point, aren't you? She was so over the moon that she knew she could care for the Son of God. You can't even imagine that. And then she loses him and for three days. So that would have been fairly fretful. And so she gets him and she's, here's the dialogue here. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a little bit of pushback of Jesus. You know, he's just slightly... Eh. Just going like that. And I could imagine her going, look, really, you know the scriptures. You know what happened to your great, 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 great uncle Joseph. And I didn't really want you sold off into slavery because that was Joseph's story, the redemption that way. But I'm not sure that that sold into slavery redemption through that story is going to be yours as well. That's not what I have. And I don't think we need to be risking that. Now, an interesting part in this story is that after he comes back, gives a little bit of pushback, she explains it, I'm sure, because it then says, then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Amazing concept. And Jesus grew in wisdom. So how does that happen? Relating as a child to our parent, and some of you I'm going to put 
I can see, you know, most of the kids aren't here, but maybe we're speaking to us as adults as well as being parents and mothers. I actually think if you're going to grow in wisdom and your parent pitches out for some obedience, I think it's completely reasonable for your child to try and engage you like Jesus did. I think it's completely reasonable for the child not to stand there and go, why, in an arrogant, cocky, terrible way, but I think the onus is on us to help them grow in wisdom. The goal as parents is to help them have what we call competent departure. And a child is not going to have competent departure if they just have to obey all the time without understanding, without intrinsic taking on board the reasons. Because So Jesus came, was obedient to Mary, good, but he grew in wisdom. And I think that's probably because there was explanations of the reasons behind the obeying. So in as much as our kids grow, sometimes they just need a, you just have to do it, trust me on this, I can't explain it, no problem. But as kids get older and their thinking becomes more conceptual and they are, you've got just limited years to grow them so they're making good decisions themselves, I think the onus is on us, a bit like in Proverbs 31 when the King Lemuel's mum, he sat with her and he explained she explained to him why alcohol and bad women and injustice were problematic things so that he could grow in wisdom and understanding of the path he should go. So there with the child being obedient, I don't think it's as simple as just obey. I think for kids, and I encourage my children to understand the reasons. So with one of my kids, and I've run this past him, he had an issue where we wanted him to do what we thought and he quite disagreed and we sat down and there was a bit of emotion in it, I have to say, but I'm with the engagement. So we spelled out the reasons and he said, well, I don't still agree with you, but because the Bible says it'll go better with me if I honour and obey you, I will. Anyway, months down the track, he ballpark did. We met a kind of medium space and he came back and he said, look, I'm only going to say this in a quiet voice, Mum, but I'm glad I ballpark did it the way you and Dad said and I'm glad I understood it a bit because that helped me. So I think if you don't understand the reasons why you're telling your kids to do something, wrestle it out, work it out. Try and think about it. Work out, is there a reason or it's just you're tired and lonely? I mean, lazy, tired, we're always tired. But just wanting to think about it, so to grapple with that. The next stage is when we relate to our mother as uh, you were an adult, and that would be a lot of us here. How do we relate to our mother when we're in that adult season? And this is the story that we heard just today. This is a really interesting story. So Jesus is there. He's 30. Mary's about 45, 46. She's at the wedding, and it says, and also Jesus and his disciples. So it's clearly, you know, they're separate, but they've come together. They're in each other's orbit. They run out of wine. Mary's known Jesus for 30 years and nine months kind of thing. She knows he's something pretty amazing, but she knows he's taking his time. She's watching him. She's observing him. She knows what's stored up in her heart. She knows that this is something in history is happening through her son. She doesn't know what, though. So the wedding is there. They've run out of wine. She comes up to Jesus. Who knows what she was really thinking, but watch what goes on here. She comes up to him and says, they've run out of wine. He says, he says, oh, I'm going to have to get this out of my brain. He says, what is that to me, woman? And it's actually dear lady in the Aramaic, in the Greek. It's not that mean. What's that to me, dear lady? It's not my time. Huh? Okay. It's like, but, but what happens next? What happens? He does it. 
Doesn't, hasn't that struck any of you as completely bananas? He goes, woman, what's that to me? It's not my time. Okay. Does it. And that is when his whole ministry kicks off. And I sat with and meditated on that, and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe this is Mary coming up somewhat prophetically and going, I think it'd be about now. And him going, well, I don't. (laughs) And her going, do what he says, because I do. And him going, mother, honour, gravity, weight, kabed, okay, let's go. And it got me really thinking about my life. And I thought, I got a bit lost for longer than three days in my 20s. And in thinking about this passage, I thought I wasn't in my mother's orbit much. Jesus was in Mary's orbit. Not in her pocket, but in her orbit. And he listened to what she said. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I'd have been a bit more in my mum's orbit, not for her to, not to be obeying her like a little kid, but just to have her maybe speaking some of her perceptions about me into my life. Not necessarily taking everything she said, but at least having it there to think about. And I thought, hmm, that's probably a pretty good take on honour. Not just caring for, not just being nice to, but actually being prepared to listen to and even ask, ask for our mother's thoughts. Not to take them all necessarily, yes or no, but at least to ponder them a bit like Jesus did in that instance. And then as parents, do we also sit with the Lord enough and watch our children enough at the right time and in the right way to speak maybe prophetically or speak a word in season, in time, into our own children's lives. But there's another one where Jesus related to his mother as an adult that is kind of like the uh, flip side of that coin of the engagement and it could feel like a bit of a shocking one if you hadn't had that first one to encounter because there's just these two in this part of his life, where he's working now. He's totally game on. He's working, he's teaching, he's speaking, he's making some people cranky with the words that he says. Who knew words could be so powerful? And it says in the scripture there that John, um, sorry, that Jesus' mother came about him while he was working and he said, no, I'm not going to engage with you now people that are my followers and my mothers and brothers. I've got a broader community now. And that says it's okay to have a boundary with your mother. Jesus was in her orbit and had paid attention, gave gravity to what she said, but he also had a boundary with her. And that's the balance of being an adult with our parents, that we can honour them, but we can also have a boundary with them. And it's because there's other relationships that go on. And to those of you who weep because your mother's died, you had a neglectful or abusive mother, your mother is absent for some reason, your mother's unwell, this is one of the amazing, amazing things of the Christian community. What Jesus said then is, other believers are my mother. 
Other believers are my sons. Other believers are my daughters. And as a community with my mum being sick repeatedly for so long over my life from when I was 12, the Lord provided for me three significant backup mothers in the church communities, in the different seasons that I lived, with whom I have honoured, listened to their words and been incredibly grateful to them. So if for you there's a gap there in your heart from a mother who's passed away, isn't in faith, is a bit bonkers, all those different reasons, pray for and look for and listen for and hear for someone who could be backup mother to you in community. And for those of you who've got full hearts and your seasons, you're feeling that your kids aren't around or you've got an empty nest or you've got some love to give, look out for those divine connections of maybe you connecting in with somebody who's got that gap. That's the richness of Christian community and it's what Jesus is talking about here. And then finally, Jesus adult, as an adult to his aged mother, to his aged mother, this is probably one of the most uh, heartbreaking stories ever. That there's this woman who's been chosen by God to birth. I mean, every we know, I'm just going to do a bit of a mother thing here. We all know that we conceive a child and the whole thing's a flipping miracle just from woe to go. Like Mary had it without a man. Like, to be honest, I know you guys make a great contribution, but from the second you're gone, like the rest of it is just a flipping miracle. As Meghan Markle's face and Prince Harry's just demonstrated. Like it just is. So Mary's done the son of God. She's been there. And then on the Sunday, sorry, the week before, everybody's going, your son is great. She's going, oh, he's on it. It's all happening. Within a week, he's up on the cross being slaughtered and executed as a political, what's my word, Simon? A what? Correct. Thank you. Thank you. He's being there executed as a political revolutionary. And she's there, unlike most of the disciples except John, being brave enough to be there at the cross supporting this boy, this man that she's loved for so long. Everyone else is gone. Back at the time, I don't know if you're aware of this, but people who associated with political revolutionaries, they would often kill the whole posse of people who identified with them. They'd just throw everyone up on a cross, male or female, who identified with that person just to get the the, um, people who are against Rome out of the the picture. So for Mary to be there so obviously identifying with her son at that time was incredibly brave, let alone just terrible for her. But here's the thing of the story, because we're looking at how Jesus related to Mary. He's up there on the cross, he's done a whole lot of the interactions, but John reports to us that the last words he spoke to human beings on the cross was to his mother. Unbelievable. He is dying there, the most excruciating death ever designed by humans to torture other human beings. He looks down and sees his mother and he cares for her and says, Mother... Here is your son talking about John, and John, here is your mother caring for her. It's the last thing Jesus does is to care for his mum. 
Now, back in Matthew 15, he takes on the Pharisees because they didn't want to use their time and their money and their resources for caring for their parents because they said, no, we're using it for God's work. Now, with the example of Jesus there doing God's work, had the energy to arrange probably and execute and make that happen, Jesus says, no, it is the work of God to care for your parents pushed back on the Pharisees and said, no, you honour your parents, you honour your mother, you honour here. Doing God's work is no excuse for not taking that time and energy and effort. And it is hard. Looking after our parents can be incredibly difficult and complex because some of them are so sick. We're a sandwich generation. We're looking after our own kids and they've got needs. We've got complex history. I understand that. But that's why we've got a powerful God who can come with us and help us do this. And Mary, her biggest need was her safety and security, providing that for her. And that's what Jesus did. He didn't just from the cross say, and thank you, Mum, for supporting me. Like the gratitude's important, and I'll get that in a minute. But he looked after her in a practical way. And to look after our aged parents who are less able to look after themselves, to pray for ways that we can practically care for them. And I know there's the, the aged care commission going on, and I understand the complexities of it. My mum's 80, my dad's 88, the complexities of it. But to put some time and effort into thinking about it and planning for it and ask God to help you, and also, as it is such a complex issue, ask others in the community, the Christian community, how they've done it, how they've cared for their aged parents. You're not alone in this either. I've got some friends who I am asking at the moment how they made the practical decisions about caring for their mum in her sickness and in her dementia and in their difficulties, how you do this. We're not on our own working it out. And see, Jesus here cared for, cared for his aged mum. So he was obedient as a child. He was in her orbit and asking questions and open to what her input was, but also having a season where he cared for her. And besides putting provision up there, practical provision, the one I'm going to mention also is gratitude. And something that, because my mum's been so sick so often, something I've done that I'm so glad I've done is actually write her physical letters and go and read my gratitude letters to her. And because she's nearly died every three or four years, I update that gratitude letter every three or four years and go and do it. And the three women who have been my backup mothers, one of them died a few years ago when I took a gratitude letter and wrote down all the things I was thankful to her about and read it to her before she died so that I wasn't at her funeral without her there to hear it doing the gratitude. And then just this two weeks ago, the woman called Jill who supported me and helped me most when my mum was young, when I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. She's now 82 herself. I wrote a Dear Jill letter and took it and read it to her. And we both just held hands the whole time that I read it to her, my backup mum, as well as my mother, mother. There's so many ways that the Lord gives us through the example of Jesus on how we can honour our mums so that all may go well with us, and I thought about the practicality of it as well. It just makes sense that as my kids see me honouring my mum and caring for her and loving on her, that they go, hopefully, oh, that's the way you do it. And you see, as your kids see you doing it, hopefully then, when you're in that stage, that's what they'll do for you so that 
that all may go well with you thing keeps giving. As you've taught your children well and taught them to be wise, they'll be wise in how they look after you, and it's a cycle of care. So here, just in summarising it, be reconciled if possible. If it's hard, go and get some help to do that and come back to it, revisit it, and then know you've done enough. Pray for backup mothers if you're needing that, if there's a, a gap there, and really believe that that might come, and I'm happy to pray with you for that. And also just allowing your children to grow in wisdom, and as children, I don't think there's any in here, they're all out, but just to ask for those reasons and be in your mum's orbit so that she might be able to speak into your life and caring for your mum. So we've raised a lot of things there today. So if at the end of the service any of you would like to come and pray with Dave or the prayer team or myself, we'd be more than happy to pray. So just let me pray now. Lord, just thank you that you know all of our hearts, you know the journey that we've had with our mothers, the times of rejoicing but the times of weeping. We thank you that in the life of Jesus and his mother Mary, we see so many times that give us guidance and direction for how to live with and really honour our mothers in the complexity of our day-to-day lives. I pray with these true norths and guidelines that we might seek to do that and where we're finding it hard that you would help us. Amen.